Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Internal Budget. It's Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com here with you. And after what was a wild week in Sendsland, we're going to talk some Sends. We're going to talk some Canucks. And it's not every day you have a hero on this podcast. He is a producer for Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, but he is so much more than that. A Vancouver Canucks aficionado. It is Mr. Justin Morissette. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brandon. Uh, I, I I don't I don't I don't like to I don't know how to react to an intro like that because I don't like to refer to myself as a hero. It feels like uh, a little egotistical. And then I, you know, I don't want to tell you to stop either, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where you kind of just got to awkwardly accept it. Eh? Just yeah, exactly. Yes, thank exactly. you. <laughs> so I, you are one of the people who's like most responsible in the hockey world, anyway. For uh, shining the light on what happened to me. So I appreciate that very much, actually. Uh, I don't know about that, but I'm glad to hear you are doing a little better. And I'm sure at the forefront of the listener's mind, because I think most of them are familiar with you and your story. Uh, so I guess I guess the what they probably want to know before we talk some hockey is how you doing? How you keeping up lately? I'm doing all right. I, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a long journey. I uh, had my leg broken in the salt here in Vancouver. If you're not familiar, uh, it'll be seven months ago this coming Monday, which seems like a long time ago um, and is a long time ago. Uh, but it was a really bad break. So it's been a very lengthy recovery process. But uh, like I said, gonna gonna get back to work, hopefully here at, at 650 uh, as soon as next week. So it's it's been a long road to get back to uh, relative normativity i'm not still not like entirely uh normal you know uh still uh, walking around with one crutch at the moment and it can be a bit of a, of a difficulty at times but uh by and large you know it's <laughs> the best spot i've been in in the last seven months so that's definitely uh nothing to sneeze at it's been a, it's been a lot of work it's been a lot of physio but i'm doing well for sure i'm glad to hear it and i know the listeners are too because they were they're pretty invested in your story and especially the connection that you had to Mr. Mark Borvietsky, now of the Nashville Predators. Have you talked to him at all lately? Uh, not since uh, New Year's, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually, I think we traded messages a little bit a couple months ago. But yeah, uh, he's, he's a little focused on the season right now. I don't really want to bother him a whole yeah. heck. He, him and Tara had COVID too, right? So. Yeah, things don't seem like they're going too great for the Predators in general. So, I mean, Mark's probably used to that, having spent the last several seasons in Ottawa. Hey, hey, come on now. <laughs> but uh, We'll get to your Canucks, don't you worry. Oh, oh, I'm sure, you know, glass houses and all that. But, uh, you know, I, I, there's like tons of hockey things that I'm curious about that I would love to pick his brain about. But uh, I don't know, in season, I kind of want to just leave him be. And I'm sure we'll chat when, uh, when things kind of wrap up in a, in a month or so here. Yeah, as a new dad, too, he's probably pretty busy off the ice as well. But without without further ado, we just had another little mini series between the Ottawa Senators and the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Vancouver taking one game in overtime and one in shootout as the Ottawa Senators kind of fall apart in terms of injuries. So what were your thoughts on the series as it played out as someone who's watched the Canucks all year, watched them run roughshod over Ottawa to begin the year and now find themselves near the bottom of the North division. Give me your kind of assessment of the Canucks over these past two games. Uh, It's kind of a weird couple months here for the Canucks on the Vancouver side, because they had a very difficult month of February. Um, I think they played 15 games, possibly 14. Definitely. I think 15 regardless 
I can tell you one stat with certainty there, Brandon, which is that they only won two of them. In the entire month of February, they won two, two hockey games, and that's it, that's all. But the funny thing is that they actually really played well, by and large, over the course of that month. They did not get the results that their play necessarily would indicate that they deserved. And here we are in March where they are getting results that they do not deserve because, you know, this is a team right now that has won six of their last seven, I believe, right now. And they've done it all without Elias Pettersson, by and large. But uh, they're not playing well. You know, they are, these are not games that you can look at and, you know, outside of the goaltender's crease, feel all that good about what's happening. Like Thatcher Demko is right now not just delivering the best goaltending in the North Division, but possibly in the entire league. When you look at what he's done over the course of the last month and the way that he is able to stack up, uh, you know, goals saved above replacement, or I believe is the is the stat there or whatever. Yeah. It, it's insane. He's right at the top of the league for that, just about right now, I think, if not at the very top. And that entire uh, surge up those standings has really come in the last month. So he's been playing at a, you know, superhuman <laughs> peak prime Roberto Luongo type level. And uh, and just dragging this team to results that they frankly do not deserve right now. And I think that, you know, Ottawa fans would would feel that way, too, because uh, the Sense probably deserved two points. They got two points out of those last two games, but they probably deserve to get them the natural way, which is picking up a win in at least one of those two outings. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because the perception in Ottawa is that they got goalied by Thatcher Demko, Thatcher Demko two games in a row. Uh, what has it been like with that Vancouver goaltending situation? Because obviously one of the, the biggest acquisitions of the offseason was bringing in Braden Holpe, and he's kind of struggled this year, and Demko has emerged as, the I guess, the de facto starter, and then especially in the absence of Jacob Markstrom, which has been super impressive. So what's been going on in the Vancouver goalie crease this year, uh, and what do you think has contributed to Holpe's struggles, whereas Demko has really kind of taken off over the last little while I, I don't know that Holtby's struggles can necessarily be pinned on anything that's happened in Vancouver because I do feel like that's the way he was trending in Washington the last couple seasons as well there was definitely a belief here uh both within the fan base and certainly organizationally I think what the front office in Vancouver was certainly thinking would happen was that Brayden Holtby was going to come into this situation and be uh, you know, under the tutelage of Ian Clark, we've seen over the last several seasons the way guys are able to uh, take their games to just another level uh, under this goalie coach. Um, and goalie coaching is, you know, not something that uh, typically draws a ton of attention within the entire like structural uh, uh, coaching staff. I, I think like a lot of teams probably don't even know or a lot of fans don't even know who their team's goalie coach is. But um, you know, when you have one of the star guys who is able to take, a, you know, a Sergei Bobrovsky in Columbus to back to back Vesna status and, and the, the kind of work that Ian has done over the last decade, the hope was he was going to come in here, Braden Holpe, that is, and study under this coach and sort of get back to his perhaps maybe not at the level of his Vesna season or his Stanley Cup season, but certainly uh, be an elite goalie again, because, you know, you saw Jacob Markstrom 
go to another level under Ian Clark. We're watching Thatcher Demko do it right now, too. There was a lot of hope that Braden Holtby would have the foundation uh, to kind of go back to that level. It hasn't happened. Um, I don't know that it was entirely realistic that it would happen when you look at the way he's been sliding kind of the last couple of years. But he's a great dude, man. I, I really like him as a guy, which I think... it's kind of, uh, you know, you're looking for a consolation prize and a big ticket contract that didn't work out. This guy's going to be here probably next year as well, uh, unless the the Seattle Kraken pick him up in the expansion draft to be their goalie, which they might. Possibility, yeah. But but, but probably not, ultimately, especially when it's a backloaded contract because the Canucks tried to avoid spending as much money during the COVID season that they possibly could. Um, so, you know, I do think he's going to be here next year too. And he's very pricey mm-hmm. to be a backup. He's making close to $5 million, I think, um, for something. I'm not sure, but, uh, regardless, like, you know, this is a guy that they definitely thought was going to be the starter. I don't think they thought Braden Holtby, uh, or rather, I don't think they thought that, uh, Thatcher Demko was going to be able to take that mantle as quickly as he has shown, Um, my sort of take on it though, is that if you were looking for an insurance policy in case Demko wasn't ready to be the guy, you probably should have gone a little bit cheaper, you know, maybe, maybe that next tier down and, and go after, you know, just to throw a name out there, a Thomas Grice or whatever to, to be the guy behind Thatcher, because I, you know, I know it's only three games and it was the playoffs and it's the bubble and you can't replicate that and blah, blah, blah. It's such a small sample size. I think there was a lot of reason to believe when you look at his pedigree as a prospect going back over the last several seasons that Thatcher Demko realistically could have been the guy this year. And if yep. that is the case, you should not be going and spending out uh, you know, $5 million on a backup goalie when you barely have any money to spend this offseason at all. This was an offseason that they came into with really about 14 million available to them in total and some really, really big holes to fill with departing players. So, um, yeah, it was not the best offseason in terms of allocating money and, and putting a lot of it in, in that Braden Holtby contract. Tough timing, though, also, because... You know, this is a season where I think we can look at the Winnipeg Jets right now and say that having two high-end goalies is really dramatically important in Mm -hmm. the COVID year where you're playing a condensed schedule, where you're playing these sort of series against teams. And, you know, we're going to talk, I'm sure, about Joey Decord in a second here. He played four games in six nights before getting injured. That's an insane workload. And that is what is being asked of goalies this year if you do not have two guys that you can reliably go to. And... For the Canucks, they kind of came into this offseason in in normal circumstances. Let's pretend that COVID is not happening right now. Uh, You know, they kind of would have had to make the call this past offseason on whether it's Jacob Markstrom or Thatcher Demko. They came into this summer, or I guess fall, as the case may be last year, um, and we're, we're put in a spot where, like, ideally in a perfect world, you would be able to keep that tandem together for one more year because you would need two goalies of that caliber um, over the course of a season like this. It's just really unfortunate that uh, not only did they have to make that uh, decision, you know, in the uh, sort of circumstances that they did with this weird COVID season going on, but also Mm -hmm. 
you know, in a flat cap world, because if you just see a little bit of a cap boost that we typically see year to year, if there's an extra 3 million available to them on the books, huge. I, I don't know that Jacob Markstrom is gone from this team this season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think they may be able to push that decision a little bit further down the road, at least by a year. Uh, I think they would have been able to keep him. And, you know, when you talk about the amount of money that Braden Holtby is making to be not good, the amount of money that it would have taken to keep Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver is not the six by six contract that Calgary gave him. I'm pretty sure that Holtby is like 5.3 or, or yeah. rather 5.3, something like that that's an extra $1.2 million or so to go from 4.3 to 5.5 for the difference in caliber goaltender that you're getting between Braden Holtby and Jacob Markstrom. I think it would have been worth it, but you know, well, well, the the off season is an unavoidable topic when, when you discuss how the Vancouver Canucks have played this year. And even, you know, me as an outsider was looking in at what they were doing and kind of scratching my head about some of the guys they were letting go and some of the guys they were keeping. I mean, this is a team that was one game from the conference final. For my money, um, you know, the Dallas Stars and Anton Hudobin coming out of nowhere aside, the Vegas Golden Knights should have won the Stanley Cup last year. Like, they were that good. They were that good in net. They were that good on the blue line. And they were that good on four at forward and this Vancouver team gave them everything they could handle. So I know Vancouver fans have their opinions uh, because my Twitter kind of intersects with Vancouver at times, but for those in Ottawa who don't know, who haven't followed this Canucks situation, what the hell has happened to this team? Uh, It's kind of the consequence of a lot of bad decisions, finally all coming home to roost at once, which if you're like me, if you're a person in the media or in the blogosphere who's been paying attention to the way this team just spends money like crazy with no seeming plan from year to year, you probably saw this coming. Maybe not in this exact way, because as I said, I think COVID and the flat cap and all that stuff have combined to make a pending crunch uh, even worse, uh, just calamitous, basically. But uh, you know, th- if you go back and look at the way this team has spent money uh, on July 1st over the last four or five years, there's no real long-term plan. And I don't know how much of that is coming from management, how much of that is dictated by ownership itself, that you know the owner wants to go out and spend his money and get some new shiny baubles that he can feel good about. I don't know whose plan this is, but like you look at, for example, uh, the Michael Furland contract, which was uh, handed out in the 2019 offseason. And it's, you know, I, Michael Furland's a good guy, again, like Braden Holtby. He's a really good guy. It's good to have characters around the team that you feel positive about. That that was a, something that early in the Benning tenure, we did not have. They really gutted the team of fan favorite characters, which... You know, not to get pro wrestling here, but like you do need a level of emotional investment to sustain your fandom. I think Absolutely. Ottawa and, uh, above all would understand that. They can attest for sure. Have had a ton of success to root for. You need to have, uh, you know, people that you feel good about. But they dropped, you know, three and a half million dollars over four years on a guy who was readily admitting to the media in Carolina that that exact summer, like a month earlier that he was worried about what his post-hockey life was going to look like, that concussions were already ruining him. He was openly speculating about that. That's the guy that they go and and give four years to at top dollar for a bottom six contributor. Like, 
what are we doing here? You had to know that that A was not going to work out and B, you didn't even have room for him on the roster at that point. Anyways, you already had more forwards than you knew what to do with. So a lack of planning really has all just sort of created this, uh, this situation where it's not even like a five car pileup. It's like an accident on the highway that, uh, uh, you know, the, the pileup is on a train track and also a plane fell out of the sky. (laughs) in place like that is what we're talking about here all these things stacking up to go wrong for this team in terms of cap management and contract planning and all that sort of stuff so uh their hands were tied a little bit but they also as i said spent money unwisely this offseason if you're coming into an offseason where you know your hands are tied by your own previous mistakes you know, when you combine the Braden Holtby contract and the Jake Vertanen contract and the Jace Haraluck contract, that's $8 million right there. That's more than half of the money that you had available to you to spend in that entire offseason. You cannot tell me that this team wouldn't be better off if they just let Vertanen walk and brought back to Foley and brought back Troy Stetcher yeah. and gone for uh, a cheaper goalie, basically. So, yeah, I was absolutely flummoxed to see all the players that walked away this past off season as well especially when you see Tyler to fully sign a very reasonable team friendly contract for to with another team in your division yeah it's um and it now be- and now when the NHL goes back to normal he's in Ottawa's division so thanks for that Vancouver <laughs> uh, it, it does seem to be in a lot of cases a problem of defense because the top of the lineup is scoring points like Besser is putting up points. JT Miller is putting up a ton of points. Pedersen is putting up points when he's healthy. Quinn Hughes, even though he's been at times a defensive liability is putting up points. So you have a team here that can score, but they're one of the worst possession squads in the league dead last and expected goals against per, uh, So one, <laughs> how does this happen? And two, if you're the GM of the Vancouver Canucks today, how do you attempt to fix this? Is this a situation that has a quick fix or do you just have to nuke this and go full rebuild? Uh, When, when you say nuke this, I think you're talking about the defensive group as a whole. Yeah. Well, you're not trading, you know, Besser, Pedersen and stuff. Yeah. But, 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 But what I would nuke would just be the front office in general, because when you go back, I mean, I hate Jim Benning and John Weisbrod for a number of reasons in terms of what they've done in hockey uh, decisions that they've made over the better part of the last decade. It's just really bad to feel hopeless for more than half a decade, to not trust your management for more than half a decade at this point. Uh, You know, like that's just not a healthy place for a city or fan base to be. Uh, But, but one of the reasons that I think like you ignoring everything else and there's a lot to ignore uh, <laughs> ignoring everything else if you just focused in on uh their pro scouting and their ability to identify defensemen on other teams that they want to bring in that alone should be fireable the list of d-men that they have brought into this team over the last seven years includes you know matt bartkowski lucas spiza uh, michael delzato uh, Eric Goodbranson, are you familiar with that gentleman? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sure you are. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Tyler Myers, chief among them as well. You talk yeah. about the, this is the worst team in the league uh, for expected goals. Well, Tyler Myers is the team leader in five on five ice time. So it's not really hard to explain why that would be. You know, you have mm-hmm. one of the most permissive players in the league 
as your five on five leader, yeah, you're going to surrender a ton of chances. And, uh, I mean, there's just, I don't, there's no getting out of that Myers contract though. Right. Like no. who's going to take no. that, uh, especially in a flat cap world where nobody has space and nobody, uh, you know, has the ability to take on, uh, enormous contracts really at all right now, even for good players, nobody's going to take on Tyler Myers at 6 million a year for another three years after that. No, no. Even, gotta... even, even the Ottawa senators are moving guys to the taxi squad on off days to save money and yeah. you know, pay them minor league salaries, right? Like that's, that's just the reality of the NHL in 2021. And that's Ottawa as a team with a ton of cap space. Yeah. You know, so. so, so, you know, I think you're stuck with that guy for another three seasons, unfortunately. And that contract actually may prove to be significantly worse than the Louis Erickson one in the long run, because at least with a bad forward contract, you can bury him in your bottom six. You got 13 guys, right? A bad defensive contract. That is something that is going to stick around for, you know, the length of it. And there's really no hiding him unless you use him sparingly on your third pairing, which the Winnipeg Jets did before Vancouver even signed him. And people in Vancouver were like, well, Winnipeg's a good team and I've heard of him. So clearly he's the reason why they're good. It's like, no, not at all. No, but, uh, you know, I don't know what they do. I don't, I don't, as far as how to rebuild this defense, there are some prospect pieces coming, but personally, like it's really too bad that, uh, ownership during this situation has gone maybe even beyond Eugene Melnick in terms of cheapness, because there are going to be college free agent players available at the conclusion of this NCAA season. Oh, yes. Especially of the defensive variety that the Canucks should be going strong after. Uh, that the Canucks can promise an easy road to NHL ice time with a very good young nucleus of players. Like the way that the Edmonton Oilers were able to sign high end college free agents back in, you know, seven years ago or so, mm-hmm. just promised them that you're going to walk right into the show and play with this young nucleus. Vancouver has a young nucleus right now that is kind of close to that. Yeah. That is just as enticing, but I don't think they're going to make any contract offers to those guys this season, because as much as those guys can be found money, sometimes they don't pan out and, and what's wasted money, just money in a, in a normal year. Ownership doesn't care about that right now. They care a lot. So yeah. I don't think you're going to see those offers. And it's unfortunate because that is sort of where we found some of the best players. Just looking at the Canucks defensive core alone over the last 10 years, two of the biggest surprises, two of the uh, one of maybe the most impactful player of the entire decade. That's probably still Alex Sadler, even though he's fallen off of late. He's now <laughs> for the Calgary Flames. Chris Tanev. How did Chris Tanev come to this team? How did Troy Stetcher come to this team? They mm. were college free agent signings and they gave this franchise more value than a number of its first round picks over the last 20 years. So that is kind of how I would look to rebuild this is just add as many B as you possibly can. Certainly the high end ones uh, from college free agency. But again, until, until the pandemic is sort of sorted out or we have a clear direction that fans are going to be back in the building. Ownership has really just turned the spigot and the money hose is, is no longer, uh, you know, pouring out money at the moment, unfortunately. So uh, until they do, I really, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good about the direction of this franchise right now. It might even be more hopeless than, uh, than things in Ottawa. Uh, Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about Ottawa and, and I do think there are 
a good amount of parallels between the way that the Senators have been managed of late and the way that the Canucks have been managed of late. But to tell you the truth, things aren't hopeless in Ottawa right now for the first time. And I think probably four years, uh, players like Tim Stutzler coming up and making an impact right away. Like that kid is unbelievable. Drake Batherson coming out of, well, not coming out of nowhere this year, but really establishing himself as a top six forward. I think Ottawa is in a similar situation on defense. Um, bringing in a guy like Good Branson for a year who just, you know, and again, you, you, you nailed it earlier when you said great guy, but hasn't necessarily worked out on the ice. That's Eric Good Branson to a T. You can tell he is absolutely loved in that room. Um, he's great in the community, just seems like a good, genuine dude. But his level of play has just not been what the Senators need this year. He's been a defensive black hole. Can I ask um, you something? Because you yeah. said he loved and, and a great guy. Uh, I want to know what the the reception was in Ottawa to his comments at the beginning of camp when he said the way things have gone here the last couple of years is not acceptable <laughs> because me as a Vancouver fan hearing that from Eric Branson, yeah. my reaction was like, you weren't there and mm-hmm. things would have been even worse if you were. <laughs> I think, I think the comment what it actually was, was he was saying that was the message from management. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what it was, but I mean, you know, even a guy coming in, like he's, you know, nobody's going to dispute it. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, absolutely. Um, But I think the message actually came from Pierre Dorian. And there were a lot of people who were like, well, maybe that had something to do with trading Eric Carlson and Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. And, you know, so like that was more the general perception around it, but yeah, yeah, but going back to, to roster construction, now that you've had a look at this Senators team and it's been a different team than the one you saw early in January where Vancouver, frankly, beat the piss out of them for three games. Uh, I think they outscored them like 16 to three or something like that. Um, But now that this Senators team has sort of improved, the young players are starting to make more of an impact. Artem Zub's a mainstay in the lineup. Um, What is your kind of assessment of how they're looking this year? I mean, you know, nobody's expecting them to win a Stanley cup this year, but um, are the Senators meeting your expectations? Are they rising above your expectations? Are they lower than your expectations? Like what's your assessment of the Senators this year? I think they're exceeding, Um, if only because I came into the year thinking they were going to be just legendarily horrible. And I also thought that a number of teams in the Canadian division, namely Vancouver and Calgary, would be a lot better than they have been this year, too. So, uh, you know, I I did think it was going to be tough sledding for the Sens in a way that, you know, they have been able to pull off some upset victories. And maybe that is a little bit teams maybe not taking them seriously or looking past them on the schedule at times. Uh, you know, especially when you guys like <laughs> upset Toronto in the season opener. But uh, you know, like there's the five one comeback was even better. That oh, was absolutely. that was a ton of fun. <laughs> so there have been moments where they've really uh surprised me and, and been, you know, they've been fun to watch, I think. This, this is a team that is like we were talking about the Canucks being uh very defensively permissible. I think the Sens kind of have that same issue as well but what they do have that the Canucks don't have which is why uh Vancouver was just dominated uh on the shot clock certainly over the last couple games is just team speed top to bottom through the lineup this is so much a young man's game today this is like the league of uh you know people (laughs) who are 25 and under at this point yeah yeah relative to the uh the NHL that I grew up watching 
but but that is the case. You know, you look at a guy like Alex Edler, who God bless him, has given this franchise, you know, 18 years of his life now and has been, uh, you know, a, a just a delightful mainstay over the course of the last two decades. That's a really long time. And you're seeing that he does not have the wheels right now uh, to keep up with, you know, the Josh Norris's of the world, unfortunately. So uh, I was really impressed with uh, Ottawa's team speed in general uh, over the last couple of games, but really all season long. They've been, um, yeah, they have not been the, the sad sack doormats that I think a lot of people expected. They've got more fight in them than, uh, than they get credit for. And yeah, I am surprised that they haven't beaten Vancouver once so far this season because, uh, you know, they certainly have, they certainly deserve to this week. We'll yeah. Put it that. yeah I, I would agree with that assessment for sure. Uh, you know, I mentioned a little earlier about parallels between the senators and the Canucks, whether it's, you know, roster construction or the way they play or, or players that they may have. Do you see any of those? Like, do you see any similarities between these two teams? Uh, the main similarity that I'm seeing right now is, is in the owner's uh, box, really. Because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I know. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, really, it's really unfortunate to watch the way Vancouver has just tightened up. This Mr. Season. Aquilini has not endeared himself to the people of Vancouver. Well, these he's days. a real estate mogul. So I guess the real estate bubble is finally not looking great with the fact that all this money is, is not moving around. But to me, it's like, it was fake money to begin with. It didn't exist. So just act like it's still there. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, no consequences in this life for rich people. If you could just spend, it'll be totally fine. Uh, it, it was all, it's fake money. It'll be fine. You, they'll turn the fake money tap on in a couple months. It'll, but like right now, you look at what this team is doing right now. Like Francesco Aquilini is so cheap that uh, they do not, they have not even tendered a contract extension offer to their head coach who, you know, I think if you were to look at the people who impressed the most in the playoff bubble for this team last year, yes, Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes very much so, but Thatcher Demko first and foremost, and then probably Travis Green who showed that he is a very smart coach as far as making adjustments and, and being able to, switch things up and combat, uh, you know, the, the strategies that he's seen over the course of a seven game series. I think definitely. that's the guy that you definitely can win with. And there is a possibility that he just walks at the end of this season because another owner will be willing to tender him a contract offer. And Vancouver is sitting here like, well, it's a pandemic until we know what the future looks like. We're, we're going to pretend like we don't even need a coach next year, mm-hmm. which maybe you don't. The New York Red- have a coach last night they won not nothing so <laughs> he's on to something here but it just really feels like how cheap can you possibly be to operate and i know this isn't what they're doing really because he's just sort of trying to see what the landscape is going to look like but right now it seems like they're pretending like they might not need a head coach next year Mm-hmm. Or that they're just going to promote from within, which is what happened last offseason. You know, we talked about all the, the players that walked. We also had people walk from the coaching staff, including Manny Malhotra, who's now in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Those guys did not get tendered offers to stay. And they were replaced with coaches who were already in the system and already under contract. They just promoted guys up from the AHL into roles that they're probably not ready for, but they just happened to be here. So you know, uh, they're who we're going to go with. And when you're seeing that level of uh, frugality, I do feel like I am an Ottawa Senators fan right now. And it might even be worse than the way things are going in Ottawa. 
Yeah, there is. I mean, Ottawa is not in a situation like the Canucks where they have some serious contract issues coming up relatively soon. Uh, the one that they have is Brady Kachuk uh, at the end of this season. And that is the big question in Ottawa right now is what's going to happen with that. Is Brady going to get a long-term deal? Is he going to get a bridge deal? Is it going to be a fight to the bitter end to get him locked up? Uh, whereas, you know, I mean, Melnick surprised people a couple of years ago with Thomas Shabbat getting the eight by eight deal. Uh, but I think that is the biggest worry right now uh, is Brady, but Getting back to on the ice, um, I know we kind of touched on this a little earlier, but and listen, if you're not familiar with the full scope of this goaltending situation in Ottawa right now, it is a complete unmitigated disaster. First of all, Matt Murray and Marcus Hogberg have not played consistently well all year. Murray's had some good games. Hogberg's been terrible. Um, and I don't feel like I'm being too harsh to say that. So now Hogberg has been out for almost a month, I think. Uh, and apparently is not really close to returning. You have Matt Murray, who there's no timetable for his return after he got hurt and warm up against the Leafs. And now last night, Joey Decord goes down with a non-contact injury uh, where DJ Smith said he's out for a bit right now. That's what we know. So now injuries are... You know, that's something to be scared about. Really. It's nuts. And now they're down to Philip Gustafson, who, if you didn't know, last night was his first NHL game. You have Ken Kevin Mandelis, who has yet to play an NHL game. And after that, you have Cedric Andre, who is a year removed from the OHL and has played one AHL game. They claimed Anton Forsberg on waivers, but he's got a quarantine for seven days and have four negative COVID tests. So... I don't even know if I have a question for this. I just, I'm still trying to mentally process what is going on in the Ottawa crease right now. Uh, but do you have any thoughts on it? Because I mean, you probably agree with the Ottawa assessment that Decord looked good, but yeah. now that he, but now that he's down, it's like, what the hell are they going to do? It just feels like a monkey's paw curse right now. Really? Yeah. When uh, Anderson left Ottawa, the thought was, well, this is a team that has, so many goaltending prospects who are of the age where they should be in a situation where we find out what they are at, at high pro uh, levels, right? Like, um, and so, you know, you, you kind of come into the post Anderson existence for the Sens and think, I would like to see these young goalies get the opportunity to show what they have. And right now you're getting to see every single one of them. <laughs> You're getting to see them. Uh, and we didn't even and we didn't even touch on Anders Nilsson, who's the, the senators had to trade to Tampa because he and he hasn't played. I don't even think he's been on the ice since more in more than a year. So I mean, if you want to take it back even further, you it goes from Nilsson to Hogberg to Murray to Decord. And now and you let Anderson walk. That would be a good guy to have right now. Um, not that I was in favor of of keeping Craig Anderson after last year, but Good Lord, man. Like, have you seen anything like this? Like, I think that the thing I keep thinking of is when the senators went on the Hamburglar run about six years ago uh, was when Anderson went down and Robin Leonard went down and then you have Andrew Hammond come in, but that's about all I can like think of right now. Yeah. I don't know that there's a ton of uh, precedent for this many goalie injuries all at once. I'm trying to think back over the, you know, decades that i have been paying attention to the sport and 
it is it is nuts it is truly insane right now i do want to uh kind of talk though about uh sort of you're touching on parallels between ottawa and it's just kind of occurring to me that like i feel like it's a little bit more fun maybe to be a Sens fan this year than it is to be a canucks fan Mm -hmm. even guys are below us in the standings because you're not quite as far along in the developmental arc right yeah Uh, you are just sort of there's been a lot of pain under pierre dorian but you are watching the group that he has assembled start to coalesce and when Mm -hmm. you're there's a lot of hope and reason to be excited and, and uh, the things that you're looking for game to game uh, go beyond victories and results and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, whereas like we were in that spot in Vancouver like two or three years ago. And when you are still uh, sort of underneath the same management group and can see that they do not have the vision to uh, take this thing to the next level, it's like, I just, I have a hard time feeling any sort of way about this team until they make a management change because I just yeah. have absolutely no hope for the future. And right now it's like, well, if you're a sense fan, that's the only thing that you have. And I should have it in Vancouver. I yeah. should be at Elias Pettersson and Brock <laughs> and all these pieces, Thatcher Demko and being like, oh, the future is going to be great. Mm-hmm. But seeing these guys try to plan for the future for seven years now and I cannot get excited about it. I think it was Samantha from the broadcast who we had a brief Twitter interaction one day. And uh, I think she said something about why are, you know, certain fan bases more, you know, receptive to certain results. And I said in Ottawa, it's, it's just the beneficiaries of low expectations and yeah. nobody expected Ottawa to come into this season and do anything right. Uh, but again, when you have these young players coming up and this is where the whole send sickos movement that is, taking the league by storm came from is that if they lose, who cares? But if you win, especially against a team like Montreal or Toronto, it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's where it all comes from. And then it was just compounded by the fact that Montreal fired their coach after two losses to Ottawa uh, and the five, one comeback against the Leafs that, you know, and then beating them again for three, like, it's just a pink slip party anytime you got anybody. Exactly, there. right? Like, and that's and that's been the fun thing about it. Um, but again, it is just I do think it is just low expectations. I mean, Vancouver arguably was coming in, and again, I didn't think Vancouver should have been coming into this season with high expectations just based on how I evaluated their offseason because I thought they lost a lot of big pieces. And I, I know you agreed with that assessment, but I, we kind of have Stockholm syndrome though, because yeah. it was a Season, but it wasn't as bad as previous off seasons. <laughs> get players that you cannot afford. So everyone was like, "Well, they didn't do a dumb thing." No. I don't. Maybe so. It was good, which it was not good. It was not good at all. No, but but I mean the thing with but with thing with Ottawa is again it's a last place team expected to be last place again. Uh, but Ottawa is not a team that was one game away from the conference final. And I think the management point is interesting because that's a big question in Ottawa right now too. Pierre Dorian's contract is up at the end of the year. Um, the ownership situation is well-documented in Ottawa. Um, at the best of times, it is not, I don't want to say stable, but it's because I don't know the inner workings of, you know, but it, but it's not good. Um, and I think Ottawa's in a similar scenario where, Fans are on board. Like they love Tim Stutzla. They love Brady Kachuk. They love Thomas Shabbat. They love the kids that have come up and played on this team. 
but there are a lot of them who are holding back from diving head head first into this thing because they don't know what the management situation is going to look like. Like they don't know if Brady Kachuk is going to get signed long-term like, and that is an insane thing to think about for any other team because Brady Kachuk is the heart and soul of this team. Um, He's the heartbeat in the locker room. He's the most beloved player among the fan base. He does everything on the ice on the ice. He's one of the most productive players in the league uh, in terms of generating offense. So, I think there is some of that. Like, are Vancouver fans worried about the immediate future of their young players? Because I know there was speculation that Brock Besser was going to be traded in the offseason, which is insane to even think about. Um, But is there some of that similar sentiment? I know things aren't quite as hopeful in Vancouver, but do you guys have that added misery of, of worrying about the immediate future of these young stars? Yeah, I mean, if you're worried about uh, what the next contract for Brady Kachuk is going to look like. Imagine a Vancouver fan right now who is heading into an offseason where they don't think that the current general manager is going to be here following the conclusion of this season. Like it is by and large widely believed that they've already made the determination that they do plan to clean house of this front office, but they're just too cheap to do it in season because they don't want to pay two people to do the same job. If that is the case in there, think about the the clocks that are ticking right now in Vancouver, where RFAs at the end of this season deals that need to be locked up this summer include Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, that right there, those three players are the foundation of your entire team for the next decade. Yes. And I have absolutely no faith that they're going to be locked up to, uh, you know, good. um, I don't want to say team friendly because they, you know, need to get whatever it is that they can get, especially in a, uh, you know, uncertain economic landscape. They're all all RFA status, though, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Demco can file for arbitration, possibly, but the other two cannot. Regardless, those are three huge deals. Ideally. I think people would want them to be signed for as long term as possible. So you just have, even if it's not for cheap, even if it's not a team friendly salary number, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They did not get any of those guys to sign for, you know, below value. Maybe Tavares a little bit, uh, but still like those are some rich, rich deals. Right. Uh, but they have cost certainty. They know what their best players are going to cost them for a prolonged window of competitiveness. Vancouver wants that, but how do you trust that this, well, first of all, there's no trust that this general manager would be able to do it. How do you trust that any GM is going to be able to do it when we are heading into uh, a great abyss? You have no idea what comes next. And, and you know, given the uh, judgment of this ownership group over the last 15 years, I don't know that you can have a ton of faith that the the next hire is going to be the right person to do that. So there's a ton of stakes going into this offseason. It feels like every summer under Benning for the last three years has been, quote unquote, the biggest offseason in the history of the franchise. <laughs> and it kind of is because the franchise has never had young players like this that it's drafted itself. So yeah. stakes could not be higher. And yeah, there is just absolutely no faith. Uh, that, that this is going to be handled well. And I guess my question to you would be like, what is the Ottawa sentiment around Pierre Dorian right now? Because 
I feel like he was put into a very tough spot in some of the deals that he kind of had to make early in his tenure. Um, We are starting to see that the returns on those deals are looking like, like, you know, not too bad, I guess. I wouldn't say that they've all excellently, but. Well, 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 here's the thing. Uh, Pierre Dorian being the general manager of the Ottawa senators is a difficult situation every day of his life just because of the ownership situation. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Like being the GM of a Eugene Melnick uh, owned team is, is not easy in any sense of the word. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a GM where public opinion of him has fluctuated so much. Like there was a period of time, like especially after the Mark Stone trade, people were calling for Pierre Dorian's head. Like, I, like people were angry when Eric Carlson got traded TSN 1200 stayed on the phone, uh, or stayed on stayed on the air until 3 a.m. taking people's calls. Like it was like this fan base gets a lot of crap, but they are one of the most passionate groups in the league. Um, but so opinion of Dorian, especially after not getting a pick, a first round pick from Mark Stone, um, was very low. But then you go back to last summer in the fall. Eric Carlson has now turned into Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris. Um, and that's before they let Dylan DeMello and Rudolph Balsers go, both of which were ridiculous, but that's another, that's another conversation entirely. Um, and the way the senators have drafted Pierre Dorian is an excellent amateur scout. And the way they've drafted has been phenomenal. They have found diamond in the roughs, Shane Pinto. They took a ton of flack for not taking Arthur Kaliev in that spot, but Pinto is looking like the guy that's going to win the Hobie Baker this year in, in college. It's come out of nowhere. Uh, but now you have this past off season where Derek Stepan was brought in and was for a second round pick and was a complete bust. Um, Matt Murray. I don't think, I don't That's, think we've seen the best of Matt Murray in Ottawa, but Stepan part though. Uh, I do feel like that was entirely to get to the, the cap floor though. Right? Like he was a guy whose actual cap number is significantly higher than his real salary. They That's needed it was there's probably something to that but they needed a guy who could play center right like their centers were Josh Norris uh Chris Tierney and like Logan Brown and Artem Anisimov right so so you just yeah like the forward version of Eric Branson essentially yeah um so you bring in step on and it doesn't work out and you bring in good Branson and and it doesn't work out uh again Murray I don't think we've seen the best of him but that contract is not looking great right now um and even further further than that, I mean, Austin Watson has worked out really well, but that's a fourth line winger, right? Like who's not going to, you know, that doesn't move the needle for for this fan base. I mean, Coburn and Paquette have, were horrible, frankly. You know, yeah. talking about guys you can cheer for, guys you want to root for. Exactly. Austin, definitely not one of those guys. <laughs> well, Well, here's the thing about Watson, and I got into this on Twitter a bit the other day. I'm not excusing anything that happened. I do not want to give that perception in the slightest, but according to Watson's girlfriend, the events didn't happen as they were reported to police. Since then, Watson has gone out of his way to get sober, become a mental health advocate. So, I mean, you know, it is such a, it's such a shitty situation because it is so gray. Um, but the guy has done a lot of good. And I mean, if we're talking purely on the ice, he's been a complete warrior. He blocked a shot with his throat the other night, you know? So, I mean, so the Watson situation is a tough one to wade into, but the, the, the kind of perception on Dorian has sort of turned around again because this off season wasn't viewed as a good one. 
by this fan base. I mean, the draft was exceptional, but I mean, you got Sanderson and Stutzla alone out of this draft, right? Um, well, for sure, in the moment, especially when the team is coming off of an Eastern Conference Finals run, to watch that group be dismantled when you oh. feel like of something. But I think, like, if we're being honest and we can look back with the, the benefit of hindsight, there's just no way that core could have stayed together in Ottawa. I, I really don't think uh, that that would have been possible with, like, the just rich deals that those guys were going to command. And, like, look at what Carlson has done in San Jose. Would keeping yeah. him have even been... I don't think it would have been. So, like, I think ultimately he had really tough decisions, but it kind of looks like they were the right ones, even if they were unpopular. I, I think... I think they have been the beneficiaries of some good luck. I mean, nobody expected San Jose to completely bottom out last year and, and Ottawa to end up getting Tim Stutzla with that pick at third overall, right? Like that came completely out of left field. The one move that you will never get the majority of the Senators fans on board with is the Mark Stone trade. Like as good as Eric Branstrom turns out to be, and he's going to be very good. Uh, that guy was the captain of this team. Like he, he just was. He, was. he was the heart and soul. What's that? One of the most underrated players in the league, easily. For sure. And uh, you know, and you know what? And this is gonna this might surprise people outside of the Ottawa market. The most universally beloved player they've ever had. Like I have never heard one critic of Mark Stone. I've heard critics of Daniel Alfredson. Alfredson had a lot of critics, especially in the early 2000s when the team couldn't win. Eric Carlson had a wonderful. ton of critics. It still does. Mark Stone, universally beloved. Well. Not, not to get all Don Cherry here, but you look at the passports of those fellows, and uh, I wonder why some of them face yes. criticism. And- no, di- no doubt. But, I mean, and in fairness to Stone, Stone did earn that with the way he played. Um, he was clutch. His game was fantastic. He was a leader. Did a ton for Brady Kachuk's development too, right? So, I mean, I think the management situations in Ottawa and Vancouver are similar. Uh, Ottawa, I just, I have a lot more questions to be honest with you about how things are going to not necessarily work out down the line, but Dorian's just such a hard guy to evaluate. And, and Justin, this has been great, man. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but one thing I I do want to ask you for sure, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but who do you think is in better shape long-term? Do you think it's Ottawa or do you think it's Vancouver? Oh, um, it's funny because I think it's as far apart as it seems, you know, I don't either. Yeah. I am going to go with Vancouver though. And I don't know if that's just the Homer in me, but I think it's because I look at the Ottawa defense and, and in net really. And I don't see the kind of foundational pieces there uh, that the Canucks have right now, which isn't to say that the Sens can't add those in the next couple of years, because I think that, uh, as much as we hate to see teams draft positionally, uh, rebuilding teams do it all the time. They sort of decide we have enough great forwards as much as it would be nice to add another great forward and we could trade that great forward for a great defenseman down the line. Wouldn't it just be better to draft a great defenseman right now? Um, and sometimes that doesn't entirely work out. Ollie Levy, hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that I do sort of see the Sens maybe uh, leaning towards the back end uh, with their high picks going forward in the next few years, potentially. Um, but that's sort of the, the tipping point for me. If I were to yeah. look at uh, the, the groups otherwise, um, you know, I, I still think there's some pieces in Vancouver that are a bit better, but they're also older, right? Like 
it's tough to compare a Bo Horvat to uh, really anyone in that Ottawa core right now. Yeah, you can't. So much further along. And if I were to look at what Bo Horvat was when he was 21 versus what he is right now, I never would have expected that he would be this guy right now. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of an unfair comparison, I think, for where they're at in their developmental curve. But, uh, you know, I think when you have a clear-cut number one star in every position, which the Canucks do right now in Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko. They do need to lock those guys up. They do need to get them on, you know, contracts that we can live with. Not, never mind favorable, just, you know, passable, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which is a, a Herculean task for this offseason. But um, just because of that base, I do, I'm going to leave the Canucks on this one. Yeah. I think I do agree with you for that reason. I think, having established stars in you know, guys like Pedersen and Hughes and Demko, especially like that's one area that the senators haven't figured out yet is their, their number one goaltender. I think there's a good chance Matt Murray rebounds. I think Joey Decord has shown that he can at least play at the NHL level. So it's coming um, in terms of forward talent. I don't want to say Ottawa's quite arrived yet, but they're like, one year away, I think. I mean, Brady Kachuk is Brady Kachuk, but Drake Batherson has turned into a top six forward. Tim Stutzle is making an, a solid case for the Calder Trophy, I think. Um, in the back end, yeah, I, it is a defense-heavy draft this year. I do see Ottawa probably picking up a defenseman or two, but you have Jacob Bernard Docker, who's probably turning pro next year, one of the best defensemen in college hockey. Jake Sanderson, a Again, that's a guy who we thought was going to play two, three years in college. He might turn pro next year because he's been that good. Uh, Eric Branstrom's coming along. So I think you're right. I think there are too many question marks in Ottawa right now. Like, who knows if any of those guys will develop into impact players? I think they will. But Vancouver does have those established star players. So I do agree with you there. Justin, it's been awesome having you, man. I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, Why don't you tell the people where they can follow you at? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Justin Morris. Uh, that is with one, one S M O R I S uh, same handle on Instagram. If you like seeing, uh, well, I was going to say pictures of concerts and wrestling shows, but I haven't really gone to any. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm going to be back on sports at 650. I think as of next week, I have not worked in seven months because of my uh, injury and assault, but uh, very much looking forward to getting back there. And as I return to 650, I would imagine that my weekly wrestling radio show will return with me as well. That is Wrestle Central Sunday nights on Sportsnet 650 Vancouver. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, that will be back up and running. Looking forward to listening. And uh, listen, man, I know you have earned yourself some fans on the Ottawa side of things. Uh, the courage that you showed in that incident last August uh, has endeared you to a lot of them um, because a lot of them believe in the cause that you stood up for. And uh like I said, you're always welcome on this podcast, man. Uh, anytime you want to come back on, I'm happy to have you. And uh, I know you're doing some stuff for Locked On Canucks, so I'm sure we'll be talking pretty soon. Exactly. Yeah, I forgot to mention that, too. If you want to hear more about the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you can hear me on the Locked On Canucks podcast as well. And Brandon, I think you will be appearing there before too long. I think so, too. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Make sure you like the podcast, share with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all that fun stuff, little things that go a long way but are greatly appreciated. Appreciate you listening. Stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Take care, y'all.